And you're listening to The Green Majority. This is Darren Kaster, your host, speaking uh, live here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Also, oh, we like our theme song so much, we're playing it twice. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Darren Kaster here on The Green Majority for CIUT, or one of our wonderful community radio partners across the country. I'm going to be joined in a little while. It is, uh, as we're recording this right now, if you're not listening live, uh, a rainy rainy and dark day but that's okay it has meant that stefan's a little bit late though so he's going to be joining us in a few minutes uh and he's going to be joining us uh for most of the second half of the show basically we've got a giant pile of news we didn't get to too much news last week and there was already a lot of news and this week there is more more news so i have we've picked three we're going to try and get through with three of the biggest stories that we think uh need to be uh highlighted for you this week uh i may also skim through some of the other ones and we will be posting a complete list uh, of all the news stories that i sort of selected uh as important uh this week at the end of the show Without further ado, though, at the very beginning of the show, sitting right now, in fact, right next to me is Nicole Reese, who's the current uh, executive director for Ontario Sustainable Energy Association. Welcome to the Green Majority, Nicole. Hello and welcome and thanks for having me. Uh, So we've had, uh, as I was... um talking about before we uh we've had uh chris stevens on before a couple of times uh i even went to a conference that you guys organized and a few other things uh but he is uh off doing other things now and you are the new executive director so i think uh some many of our audience may have heard at least one of our interviews with chris before um but just in case they haven't let's uh let's go over again exactly what what is osea's role what are they doing and and uh, i'm very interested to know how you got involved in in being the new uh head of that organization uh, yes. Um, so OSEA has been around for uh, a little bit over a decade. Uh, we were formed to uh, promote sustainable energy and a sustainable energy system in Ontario um, and uh, also uh, promote the involvement of communities in the development and the ownership of uh, renewable and sustainable energy projects. Uh, when we say sustainable, we really include energy and efficiency and conservation as well. So that's why we make the distinction and uh, prefer the term sustainable energy. Uh, and, uh, OSEA um, is a member-based organization. We have uh, corporate as well as community and public sector members. And uh, our, uh, our main mission is to um, promote a transformation of the uh, current Ontario energy system to a more sustainable, integrated, um, inclusive, and decentralized energy system that uh, powers, heats, cools, and moves, uh, moves us. And, and our society. So it's it's not just about energy, it's about heating and cooling, and it's also about uh, building out uh, uh, s- the smart grid and electric, ve- uh, electric ve- ve- vehicles. I <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, and uh, in, in terms of uh, my engagement with OCI, actually, I joined OCI in 2008 um, as a volunteer. I um, um, I uh, started off uh, when, uh, when when OSEA organized the World Wind Energy Conference uh, in, con- in, in, in coordination with the uh, World Wind Energy co- uh, World Wind Energy Association, and uh, came back uh, that same year uh, to volunteer again for the Green Energy Act. Uh, um, campaign. So uh, during the conference in June, uh, the uh, an alliance was formed, the Green Energy Act Alliance, um, and uh, that was uh, putting together 
policy recommendations and uh, you know went out uh, to the communities and talked to community members about having uh, what uh, green energy act would do and how it is beneficial for ontario and uh, for that alliance i volunteer uh, come, came back to volunteer and then slowly i uh, i took on more responsibilities and yeah and now uh, when chris decided to move on to different ventures i uh, i guess i was next in line <laughs> to uh, t- to take his place so so volunteering your way all the way to the top there you go i guess so <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we're going to talk to you a little bit uh, today as well about uh, green energy doors open in a minute. But um, I just want to ask you one thing more thing about what you something you just mentioned there, which was the uh, community uh, power generation uh, sort of part of that. So it's not you're not by any means just sort of like an industry association in the sense that you're you're sort of advocating on behalf of some of the the bigger companies. It's it's really just about promoting it in. Any and every way uh, f- uh, possible. So, what's what sorts of um, things are you talking about when you mean sort of community power? And, and maybe do if you have any examples of um, some uh, current good systems that are already in place in Ontario. Well, in Ontario, um, the uh, definition of community power has uh, shifted uh, for in, during the different fit periods, or when I say fit, it's feed and tariff uh, for those uh, who are not familiar with the term, but. Um, Right now, community power in Ontario means that uh, uh, cooperatives uh, that own and operate uh, projects. In other jurisdictions, community power can mean other forms of uh, citizens participating in the ownership and development. It could be uh, a limited partnership uh, or a joint venture. And uh, for us, uh, the key around developing a sustainable energy system is really also about highlighting the local benefits and the, the uh, potential for job creation and economic development for local communities. So it's really essential that uh, local communities get to participate. So even we have uh, we have corporate members as well as community members, but the key really is and our corporate members uh, support that idea of uh, local public engagement uh, because it's very important to have everyone uh, supportive and on site and, and also have a, an opportunity to participate in the process. Yeah, I was, I, I'm not sure how much of a comment you'll have on this, but if you'll allow me to insert one of my own for a minute, oh, <laughs> maybe please. you have something to say. But it's just, it, the thing I find is so interesting about the uh, uh, community power angle, it's, it's, it, I was thinking about it when I was preparing for the interview this morning, so I tweeted something out about it. It was just what I was feeling in the moment. But um, it, what I was saying was like, you know, there, a lot of the time the pushback legitimate or not, and we won't get into that guessing game right now, but legitimate or not pushback against renewable energy was, you know, the conservatives or conservative-minded people love to say, oh, you're pushing up our energy bills for, you know, your your fun toys, and those might be very nice toys, but I'm concerned about the price of energy. And and that is, to a degree, sort of a fair criticism, but my the thing in my head is like, so why wouldn't your response be to remove the utility entirely? And generate as much of your own power. Like if you're concerned about being at the behest of the, you know, these energy generation, uh, you know, plants and stuff, isn't the most liberating, you know, libertarian type minded thing to do to be to, to be in charge of your own power generation? And it's maybe that it's maybe it's more complicated than that. But it, it it's something that it sort of it mystifies me as to why sort of that community doesn't see this as the ultimate opportunity to liberate yourself from these systems rather than complaining about being at the behest of them. And there is another component to that. I mean, uh, really, by building decentralized systems um, similar to what you're talking about, I wouldn't go the libertarian or p- uh, promote that idea of the libertarian route because well, just, just we do need people, the right? overall grid uh, to support uh, to to 
be a sort of a backbone, even a battery uh, to tie into. But I mean, our energy system over the next decades is going to change dramatically and we will see more what we call microgrids. So these independently owned operated systems that somehow tie into the grid. The question, I mean, there are a lot of uh, obviously uh, issues that are going to come with that transition, but it's going to, but it's also going to put in a lot of uh, redundancies in terms of, uh, or securities, I should say, um, because I'm, with the large grid that we have right now, you saw um, many who were around in 2003 saw the outage that we had, and that was because somewhere in the States, a tree branch hit a power line, and that but it was pretty much it. If if you have a decentralized system, that doesn't happen. Um, or you can contain the problem much more easily because you can isolate uh, that one spot and everybody else can operate um, without without problem. Mm. Uh, network resiliency. It's like the way a spider web is you know, done. If you cut a one tether of a spider web, it doesn't. It really has almost negligible, if any, of impact on the structural integrity of the web. That's correct. Uh, but if, you're, if your uh, attachment is one high-intensity steel cable, uh, it might actually bear more weight, but when it breaks, you're, you're done. Exactly. Uh, and it, it's really one of those things. I almost wish like there was something we could do, Stefan, uh, that would help explain that. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> a, little, well, a little shameless self-promotion. Of course, this is, uh, part of the reason we're so interested in this topic, uh, well, the, the other way around, part of the reason uh, we want to talk about this is because it is such an important issue. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, a, a sort of teasing self-promotion about the cartoons that we're making, which is sort of trying to explain these very things there. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think uh, this is sort of, uh, this will be our good segue into Green Energy Doors Open, which is that I think a lot of the resistance here is just it's just that it's new and and people have to get over it and a lot of the time when you present somebody with something new I, this happens to me all the time my immediate response if it's new and it's a very very different than something that i'm already have have some level of investment in your immediate reaction is to resist it and even if you're immediate just because your immediate reaction is resistance that's because like it's it's generally a good idea to not just change your mind the second somebody suggests a new thing that's actually generally a good thing that you shouldn't just accept every new idea that gets popped into your head but a lot of this is i think is just that people just haven't really come around they're, they're not thinking about all of the tangential benefits like the network resiliency and all these other things they're just like what is my what is my price tomorrow going to be on my electricity bill? And that's really the only thinking, which is why you and a number of other partners have generated something called Green Energy Doors Open. Please tell us. Yes, and, and uh, just to come to that criticism about, uh, like you mentioned before, uh, it's a, a lot about is about uh, the question around energy prices. I mean, the reality is that uh, energy is highly subsidized as it is. And so our our prices are artificially kept low. And, uh, and that in itself is uh, is a problem. So, I mean, the question around price is, becomes a very interesting question, and it's not as simple as uh, the opposition makes it seem. And there's another component to building out a sustainable energy system and, uh, and building out uh, some of these technologies are not even that new anymore. Uh, I mean, just look at geothermal, for instance. Or, uh, but if you, uh, but really, uh, when it comes to uh, these technologies, if you really want to find out what is already happening all across the province and what uh, different organizations, uh, community groups, and individuals uh, are already doing, yes. So that's why we started Green Energy Doors Open. Green Energy Doors Open is actually a year-round campaign. Uh, throughout the year, we are trying we, we uh, release uh, interesting content, stories, and uh, and infographics. We, we try also to uh, to write case studies of some on some of the projects projects that we uh, that are participating in green energy doors open and then on October 3rd you get to um 
you uh, you get to uh, visit and uh, meet some of the we call them trailblazers or innovators that uh, that ha- that are doing things and uh, so you can go to greenenergydoorsopen.ca uh, we have a map uh, where closer to the date we have already about 50 events mapped at the moment but uh, by the by October 3rd we expect to have at least 150 all across the province so you can find uh, you can search uh, your location and i believe that uh, the university of toronto is putting on an event as well mm-hmm. um, and they did last year as well so uh, thank you very much and uh, uh, yeah so you can meet uh, we will we have uh, we have uh, different types of uh, technologies, different types of models that uh, that you uh, can meet. So we can meet a co-op. You can meet a, uh, you can meet a, a manufacturing site or a wind park. Um, really, it's 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 all there. I mean, maybe not everything will be in your vicinity, but our vicinity, but. Um, yeah. Well, and the big thing I think here is that the, the people who are participating and the people who are sh- coming to show their their wares or their technology or, or a, help talk to people or explain sort of the co-op models and stuff, uh, they're really there for. I mean, I think this, this especially now because there is sort of politically maybe not from Canada, but you know globally there's there's a lot of movement towards a more organized shift towards renewables. Long overdue, of course, but it is happening. Um, you might also say it's happening too slowly, but anyway, <laughs> but it is happening. So, I mean, if you're one of those people where you're, you're thinking, you know, you're, you're not sure or you have a lot of questions or, or you've heard a lot of negative things and, and you don't think it makes sense. OK, well, you can sit at home and have your opinion or you can show up and come and meet and look at some of this stuff and talk to some people and and, and have them answer your questions. It is really is an opportunity to go in and experience what it is actually like and what is possible. Yes. And we do uh, for our, our hosts uh, are also always encouraged to, lo- to invite their local candidates um, Mm. Especially with the upcoming election, uh, we we really stress that point. We would like the candidates that are running in the different ridings to come out and meet uh, their constituents that are putting on these events. I mean, some of the political parties already get it. Mm. Uh, some are, uh, you know, some are maybe uh, um, have different opinions, but it's really important to have a dialogue, I think. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds like a really good idea. In fact, I'm looking at Stefan now, who's stuck into the studio, uh, to see if I can force him to on the spot come up with a hashtag for uh, you. You, I'll give you a minute for hashtag for the for, for, the get, energy. for inviting politicians to to show up to Green Energy Doors <laughs> Open. All right, give me to the end of this interview. All right, to the end of the interview, Stefan, you've got about three minutes. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> so can you um, can you name any specific? We've talked sort of in generally. Can you uh, do you want to name like some of the maybe some of the participants that you've thought of? I've got it. It's shock the vote. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I knew I only needed to give you about 30 seconds for that. <laughs> so hashtag shock the vote uh, to get your politician to uh, your local MP or MPP. Uh, you maybe your local mayor, whoever, whoever, whoever is a, a decision maker in your in your community. Uh, get them to green energy doors open, <laughs> apparently with hashtag shock the vote. Well done, Stefan. Great. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Do you want to maybe talk about some of the specific uh, participants that might be there? Some of the things, uh, some of the highlights, maybe that you're really excited about so far that have been confirmed? Yeah, so uh, we uh, we will uh, be launching a new or inaugurating a, a new uh, solar system in Oneida. Uh, so that's with Six Nations and Brand Renewable Energy. Um, that's a it's a joint collaboration between Brand County and uh, and the Six Nation community. It's a 500 kilowatt solar rooftop system, and that will be an there will be an inauguration ceremony. Potentially not on the third. It'll probably be the day before, just uh, because of uh, you know uh, we would like the media to come out and uh, take it as a as a means as well to highlight what's happening on the third um, in other.
other in other areas. Um, then we have uh, another exciting uh, project that I really uh, that I really like is a wind. You can climb a wind turbine, and uh, unfortunately not this time in Toronto. Last year we we could, uh, but um, but there's still something happening here in the at Toronto wind turbine. But if you are in the Kingston area, <laughs> you can go to Ernestown Wind Park, and uh, and there there will be a wind turbine climb. Neat. Okay. I need to find a ride or or get my bike tuned up. <laughs> <laughs> or take the train, I guess. Yeah, so just uh, just one uh, one final time, if you want to remind people, uh, what are the date ranges? And then, of course, we'll put the uh, the website on the today's show post as well. But if you want to just remind people all the details. Yeah, so the date itself is on October 3rd. Uh, we actually did uh, one other other pitch I'd like to make. Oh, is well, please. We, uh, we have a radio ad, actually, and we would like to get it on air. So we started a crowdfunding campaign. And uh, if you go to our Facebook page at Green Energy, look for Green Energy Doors Open, and uh, and would like to support our crowdfunding campaign, we would really appreciate it. Our uh, it will help us to get the radio ad on on air so that we get out as many people as possible. And any any donation really helps. So thank you. I, we would really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank and you. we'll have all the links for that and uh, and the the dates and links to where you can find out uh, what events uh, and open houses are happening in your neighborhood as. Well. Well, uh, mm-hmm. thanks once again to Nicole Reese from Ontario Sustainable Energy Association for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, so we're going to go now to our music break, and then we'll be back. Stefan, as I, I was we already cued, has snuck into the studio and has helped me choose a couple of important news stories today. We're going to dig into those right after the break. But first, Edward, what are we going to listen to, buddy? Hi. Uh, we got another band from Whippy, my hometown. Uh, so there's two famous people from Whippy. Uh, <laughs> Chaos. Uh, this is Crab Bucket. Take 
why I retire the fire I never Cause I'm just moving on up Choosing to touch the unseen Craving the clutch The most inevitable legible Pyromania slaying the devil And sending them back to Transylvania Strangely enough I evolved outside of the ghetto But my heavy metal will settle the puppets like the pedal Damn, if mirrors were created by sand Then I'm looking in the water for reflections of man Understand, the minds above time when it's empty MC, tragically hip ahead by a century And welcome back to CIUT 89.5 in the Green Majority. This is, think, or on any of our wonderful community syndicates all across the country, and I believe also in the United States, or maybe the podcast, or however you feel like listening to this today. Uh, I'm going to, th- this is, of course, Stefan Hostetter. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, I'm going to throw actually to Darren, who switched roles here, uh, because he <laughs> sort of began to half plug uh, one of our cartoons earlier. Uh, so I'm going to let you finish the job, Darren. Yeah, well, I didn't, I, 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 I couldn't resist the urge to say something, and, the, and, and then, I, but then I did resist the urge to, to, to badly interrupt Nicole there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the, part, of the, part of the entire purpose of green energy doors open like nicole was talking about there is very similar uh to well essentially is the same through a different medium uh the goal of what the climate cartoons is which is sort of walking people through the real basic arguments and 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 a lot of it and, and the thing and i think part of the reason why we got inspired to do that in the first place was uh there's just so much uh there's there's so many arguments that are it, it irritates me because they're 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 valid uh, they're valid, but they don't take into account a lot of the information, right? They're, it's too narrow, like, oh, my my, uh, my energy bill is going to go up tomorrow. And the, the, uh, I'm full of metaphors today. So what I was thinking was that's kind of like uh, – it, it's, sort of, it's sort of like saying that there's no value to eating food because while you're chewing and the food is gone, but you haven't swallowed it yet, you've not got any energy from it. Uh, but you're now down one apple, so therefore eating <laughs> must be a complete. Like that's that's the sort of thing. Like it's mm. very you have to sort of try to to make it a bad argument. But there's so many there's so many other arguments for it. And so we've been using the cartoon to explain that. Uh, Dave is is literally putting crossing the eyes and dotting the t's on our on our next episode. So you haven't seen that yet? Go to greenmajority.ca. Uh, we also have some cool t-shirts you can get. We also have uh, uh, control of the Facebook page for the Center for Social Innovation this week. Uh, so we've been posting uh, some links to some of the stories. That uh, there was a very successful post. I think it's getting near 10K because Stefan is considerably more liked than I am in general. I'm not even complaining. That's just an objective <laughs> fact. Uh, I know my audience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but telling a little bit. Of, so I had a personal story up there. You had one. And, and just doing it, it's really not just like, you know, advertisements and stuff. It's it's one of the cool things about the CSI community was it's uh, it's an opportunity to introduce yourself to people. And so we've been sort of getting real with people a little bit and, and telling a little bit of the behind the scenes story. So if you're on Facebook, you can check out the Center for Social Innovations uh, Facebook page and see some of those posts. Uh, uh, some personal posts from some of the hosts mm-hmm. um, and uh, and all sorts of other stuff. All the fun. All of the things. All of the things that you can find easily at greenmajority.ca. Great. Uh, and so now with that, we're going to move into some of the, the previously teased uh, news stories. Uh, and I get to harp on some of my favorite things to harp on. So this is going to be this is pardon the pun because it's going to get to harp in a couple seconds, um, which is always fun for me. Uh, and the first news story we're talking about is that um, is that there's a news kind of inhabit uh, about about uh, the possibility of uh, the first what well, they're calling it would be the United States first climate um, climate refugees. Uh, I'm sure there are other people you could find out who might claim that there's someone else, but this is a, this is a it's an Alaskan villagers. There's 400 Alaskan villagers in an Alaskan village called Kivalina. I definitely said that wrong, uh, but it's on a it's on a it's on, so it's on a barrier island some 83 miles above the Arctic Circle. Uh, and what's interesting about this island is so basically the ice is melting 
uh, and it, the waters are actually rising dramatically faster in, in in the Arctic than they are than they are in the rest of the world. Uh, and and so estimates estimates believe that this entire little village will be underwater in 2025. Uh, so talk about sort of the concerns about future future devastation. These are people who in 1992 actually had a vote to move the island to basically all have to leave the island in 1992. Uh, they were like, well, climate change is happening, and we need to leave. And then the world spent 20 years debating whether or not it existed or not. <laughs> uh, ask the people who agreed to leave their houses 20 years ago. Yeah, and, uh, and the, key, the key thing here, of course, was in, uh, and why didn't they move, Stefan? Uh, well, they don't have the money. Yeah, it's uh, uh, the the uh, the number that I'm seeing here was that uh, the Obama administration had promised uh, 54, I believe is the number. 50.4. 50.4. Thank you. Uh, 50.4 million in federal funding to help uh, Native American communities address climate change. But that's that's the entire country. million. This one community of uh, 400 people uh, needs $100 million to move. So it doesn't even help one community. Yeah, and not to mention, this is the Obama administration. They They agreed to move in the Clinton administration. So this has been this has been taken twenty years to get any funding, and then the funding provided is dramatically dramatically not enough. Um, and so what I want to go from that is like obviously this is this is an, uh, a topic to go and go into deeper. But I want to sort of what I the, the my harping topic on this on the, on this specific issue uh, is is how and, and the Canadian angle to this issue mm. um, is. How the different you understand people who are you know who who li- who work in Ottawa or or the white especially in Ottawa um, how the Canadian government sees Arctic security uh, compared to the reality and how people who live in the Arctic see Arctic security uh, you do studies uh, the, the studies that have come out from if you ask people who currently live in the Arctic the number one concern mm. uh, that they that, that to Arctic security oh, can I guess yes. Uh, is it uh, Russia invading? Yes, actually. They're really concerned about Russia invading. Did you know that you can see Russia from Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> Sarah um, Palin reference. Yes. Sorry for anyone that didn't get I that. I went way back. <laughs> way back. Um, so, so uh, no, of course, Arctic security, uh, for, for, um, for people in the Arctic, climate change and, and, and habitat loss and, and all the devastations happening to the ecosystems up there is their number one concern. They are concerned about living tomorrow. Um, and yet, if you if you ask if you whenever you hear Harper talk about what you know Harper talk about Arctic security, quote unquote, what he's pushing is we need to uh, we need to drill we need to drill into the Arctic Ocean to find oil because uh, that is a a that will is oil is always good uh, and b it's a way for Canada to exert its ownership of the Arctic Circle mm. um, and it's it's amazing to me just how out of sync uh, someone can be. Uh, with with the people on the ground, like it's 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 almost it, it's it shouldn't be that surprising. Will you please be quiet. I'm years. trying to tell you what you need so that I can help you. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm sure Arctic solution. I'm sure I'm sure Harper's solution to this to this small island in Alaska is well. If you have an oil rig in the middle of it, we can just raise the whole thing. Um, that that'll, that'll well, get it's, no, it's if we be, build the oil ring and then over the next century dig up all the oil, uh, any of the money that's left from having to use all that oil to pay for the climate change uh, mitigation, then maybe you – so like if you, if you let us make the problem worse now, eventually maybe possibly my granddaughter might help you later. <laughs> Good deal. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, just, it's just this idea that we can continue exacerbating climate change in the name of Arctic security is just – the most ridiculous thing. Um, 
And so that's 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 my little bit about that. Uh, there's also a ton more, uh, ton more about that. One of the post show posts will actually have links to that as well. And a little tie into that, uh, you know, because if that wasn't sad enough, sorry to depress everybody today, um, is that the, there was a recent study that came out that global glaciers are melting uh, at three times the rate in the 20th century. Uh, so not only uh, is this already bad. It is – we are on pace already to have glaciers melt three times as fast as they did last century, and that's with no more warming at all. So that's basically if right now uh, we stopped emitting all carbon the 20, from, 20, 22, from 2000 to 2100, yeah. uh, would have three – would see three times as much glacier loss if we stopped carbon emitting carbon now. The best case scenario, I believe, is maybe 2050 when we get to that <laughs> round of that. Um, so it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get faster. Uh, and to pretend that we still need to throw in some oil up there is just insane. Yeah. And the, the thing about that, too, I mean, with the, um, <clears throat> the, 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 the thing with sort of climate denial at this point is, is, is it's sounding more and more. And I mean, it always has been, but it's starting to sound more and more because of the weak, the increasingly obviously weak point of view that that represents or is that the, the increasingly shrinking and almost non-existent they just have very very loud megaphones uh, group of people who are still denying this problem are sounding increasingly uh, have been pushed into the corner to sound increasingly like young earth creationists mm. uh, the people like to deny evolution and stuff like that is like oh you can't trust science because look those scientists change their mind all the time yeah but it's funny how they're always wrong in the same directions <laughs> it's always worse that every time they figured out they were inaccurate about something it turned out to be even worse than they had originally said it was and it's almost always the case mm. and for anyone and i know nobody's listening to this show is if anyone ever uh, says that because i would be shocked if anyone actually listening to the show uh, thought <laughs> this uh, but if anyone ever says to you oh yeah what about the global cooling thing i'm not even going to go through it right now just go to d smog blog or skeptical science and look that up that is complete nonsense yeah um, and so, and the, the last thing I want to add to that, actually, uh, which is linking an article that we weren't going to talk about, but I, I want to throw a, a plug into it. Uh, Cameron Fenton for $350 article for Media, uh, for Medium, uh, which basically is about how Canada needs to change its climate change politics. Um, and a big part of that comes out of the Job Justice and Climate March and understanding that we, that the way, w the way forward on climate is to start listening to local communities, mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of an interesting and very different perspective. But I thought, I thought you just finished saying that the way to do it was to completely ignore local communities. <laughs> That's, that is what I just said. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, uh, uh, or, or specifically listening, uh, working c together with indigenous activists um, and, 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 and labor, uh, and basically to, to work with, to understand that the people who are on the land that we're desecrating have been telling us not to do this for, for as long as we've been doing this, uh, and yet we have decided that, uh, nah, we're going to keep doing it because somewhere else is fine. Yeah. Uh, and it's 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 this move it's required shift back to actually understanding and, and listening to the people who are sort of the, the ones directly impacted, yeah. uh, and letting them actually lead what it, what we need to be doing here. And yeah. the, the, the example of the Arctic is the, is the epitome of that. They get maybe they get almost no representation in in government uh, because of because of their low populations, and yet they get sort of talked down to and given all these random like we just decide what happens in their lives yeah and it's it, i mean it reminds me of, there was a there was a case from the u.s uh, it was one we, we actually covered on our uh potentially indefinitely on hiatus uh news uh, mm -hmm. youtube show uh before we switched over to putting all our energy into the climate cartoons 
Uh, instead, was I remember we covered a story where there was a uh, I don't remember the guy. Maybe you'll know. Maybe you'll mm-hmm. remember. Uh, but there was a there was a some sort of you know captain of industry of some sort, uh, uh, some sort of uh, rich guy who owned a company or was an executive for some large multinational company, who was trying to sue uh, somebody because they were trying to put like fracking in his backyard. But like the guy had been like a lifelong advocate of like pushing for it to be in everybody else's. Mm-hmm. Essentially, and it's like really the factor here is not that these things are safe. It's not that they're that they're so amazingly guaranteed to be great for the economy uh, that the, you just that national interest must prevail over local needs. It's literally just whose backyards they're putting them in. Some people's backyards are are more valuable than others, and that's just the way it is. If it turned out that the biggest oil derricks in the country were under rich people's land, it, there would be a huge fight. Yeah, can you it imagine would be a if, huge fight? Can you imagine if right under the Hollywood sign, oil was found? <laughs> That, there's actually that's been in several cartoons. I think there wasn't that even a Simpsons episode might or been. something. Yeah, um, but you're no, you're right. And I think environment the shift towards environmental justice has been coming uh, for the last twenty twenty five years, and it's uh, and it's it's necessary and arguably what will end up actually maybe saving us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's amazing how much uh, action on uh, action for social justice and and other things like that have a direct impact in reducing emissions. Yeah. So I mean, that's uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to buy myself a second here to find a uh, to find a link. Um, if I can't find it, I will please uh, please do check the website. I, I want to make sure that we get this. I'm, I'm trying to squ- as quickly as I can scrounge through my links here. Uh, uh, I appear to have closed the link. I will put it in the show post, absolutely guaranteed. It was sent to me by uh, by a friend of the show, and it's uh, it was talking about how to improve um, First Nations reporting, or, or for, essentially was this is the biggest thing you can do to support First Nations and Indigenous communities in Canada uh, was that uh, you know for uh, a population of you know, uh, several million people in Canada. So uh, I believe it's still, it definitely was and and and, uh, uh, and may, may still be the fastest growing speci- uh, single community in Canada is First Nations and Indigenous people. Uh, oh, here we are. I got it. So it's a, a ricochet uh, uh, post here. I'll put it on. It's called, uh, you can boast Indigenous reporting. Here's how. And so the argument on the beginning, and I'll just read this and then we can we can move on, but I encourage you to look it up, uh, was, uh, and I'm quoting here from the beginning of the, of the page here. Uh, As Canada embarks on one of the longest election campaigns in history, in this country's history, some voices will be heard more than others. Despite an indigenous population of more than 1.4 million people in Canada, fewer than two dozen full-time journalists cover this beat. Uh, and so what they, essentially what the argument is was that if you uh, support a lot of the issues that are uh, environmental, you're more or less, and this is true to varying degrees across the world, but in Canada it's, it's absolutely true that you, it's almost impossible to separate them from First Nations and Indigenous rights issues and land claims and all sorts of other issues because this is where a lot of this stuff is happening. And so if you want to do something about that, the easiest way you can do is to support reporting because a lot of the issue here is that the information is simply not getting out. The time that these issues do show up in the mainstream papers is once it's come down to a conflict, which means that pretty much the only stories you read about First Nations communities in the mainstream media news is when there's some sort of conflict with the RCMP, which has an absolutely gigantic impression uh, ability to con- to sort of influence the impressions and the feelings of the rest of Canada about First Nations issues because the, all they ever see is oh there goes another First Nations group you know clashing with police without having the slightest clue because that's, they haven't been informed of it of all of the stuff that led it up to that and the fact that in some cases 
you might say that it's legitimate to to be that upset about it. You know, we're not going to get into a conversation about tactics here, but you really don't have a right to have an opinion about that issue if you have no idea what's going on on the ground. And almost by definition, almost everybody listening to this podcast or this radio show right now doesn't, including me and you, mm. uh, because almost all of this information never gets out. Uh, and so that's one thing I just wanted to plug here that was said to us, and I will I will put a, a post up to that too, uh, as something you can do to help support it. But I really, yeah, I mean, in Canada, almost more than 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 many other countries because of the size and influence and relative lack of power of our First Nations and Indigenous communities and the relationship between their land and all sorts of things we like exporting. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, in Canada, more so than almost anywhere else, a, a inextricably linked uh, mm -hmm. concept. Not to mention the atrocities our government has, has sort of used to keep them down. Well, I, and before we move on, I would be absolutely remiss if I didn't at least say Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Yes. Um, um, read that. Uh, <laughs> well, that's for another show, but I, I would just have been remiss yeah. if I hadn't at least said and that. Yes, that is fair. Um, so moving on uh, to uh, – I want to talk actually about – so it's not sp – specifically I'm not super – like I want to get uh, – we need to talk about the Obama's action plan uh, at some point on the show. Mm. Uh, but right now I want to talk more about uh, how the media is talking about the Obama action plan, mm. or specifically an article that was written in the New York Times about it. Um, and – First, I, I want to be uh, on a broad stroke of just on the plan itself. Mm. Uh, I want to point out how rare it is for a regulation plan to come in tougher than everyone anticipated. Uh, Ninety. How often is it that you have a, you have a regulation plan set out and then it ends up being actually you know more extensive and and stronger than what everyone anticipated? And all the time, it's like uh, you know, the number one complaint in environmental law we get is like, oh, we got this regulation, but it's weak in any in all these ways. Uh, whereas this actually came out stronger uh, than I anticipated, and I think that's huge. Uh, I want to quickly because we're uh, we're about ready to go to a break, and I mm -hmm. think we can get into the politics of it in a second. So right before we go to the break here, I'm just gonna I'm I'm on the actual White House page for it. I'm just gonna give you the the essential the immediate argument. These are this is the information at the very top of the page and because this is such a political issue in the, well I mean it's a political issue everywhere but uh, particularly in the US uh, with such strong and mindless opposition from people like uh, Senator Inhofe who's the snowball guy we played a clip of Bernie Sanders wiping the floor with him last week uh, uh, let me just give you a couple of details and then we'll come back and talk about mm -hmm. the policy before our, our uh, music break here so the clean power plan sets I'm quoting here directly from the website the clean power plan sets achievable standards to reduce carbon dioxide emissions by 32% from, uh, from 2005 levels by uh, 2030, which is still not as strong uh, as uh, what was being asked for for years ago. The original uh, Kyoto benchmark, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Stefan, was uh, uh, 1990, uh, was it 25% below 1990 levels? It was 1990 like levels. I know 1990 was the base yeah. year. The percentage is escaping me. Uh, and what's really interesting here because of, and, it, and it's sort of very telling, I think, of the politics in the U.S. was that uh, uh, it says next, uh, by setting these goals and embracing the states to create tailored plans to meet them, the plan will. And it just lists some of the benefits. So here's, here's essentially the argument that Obama's laying out. Uh, protect the health of American families. This is the first thing in the list. I think this is mm -hmm. very telling. Protect the health of American families in 2030. It will prevent up to 3,600 premature deaths, prevent 1,700 non-fatal heart attacks, prevent 90,000 asthma attacks in children, and prevent 300,000 missed workdays and school days. Uh, it also, the next thing down there is uh, boost the economy by leading to 30% more renewable energy generation in 2030, create tens of thousands of new jobs, creating to lower the cost of renewable energy. Uh, and then it has some uh, uh, some information about lowering energy bills. To, uh, uh, so obviously there are three very carefully picked uh, points. So the Obama administration seeing here, uh, and we'll come back and comment on this in a minute, um, 
But the Obama administration very clearly seeing that the three big fighting points on this are going to be uh, to make it about a health issue, to make it a public health issue, be so that it to try and change the conversation from a purely economic one. Uh, number two is that this is going to be a job creator, and that by investing in it, the price of it will come down. So there seems to be almost a, a sort of a understand an admission there of an understanding that yes, this may cost more at first. Uh, which is, I think is important. And then the final thing, there save the American family. So the reason they had that sort of, well, this, this will lower costs and then it will save you money is that, that now they're talking about, yes, this is the long game. Over time, this is going to be much more effective and we will save lots of money. The last point here on this is save consumers $155 billion between 2020 and 2030. So you can see uh, very much where the Obama administration's head is at is on that. The page is filled with more uh, interesting uh, statistics and stuff. We'll dig back into it in a minute, though. So let's go to our second and final music break and we'll come back and talk about this some more. Uh, Edward, what are we going to listen to now? Hey, um, so my one of my good friends, we'll call him Alfonso, he always sang this song as 29 years old, and then a few days ago we were listening to it, I heard him singing, I was like, yo, you know this is 38 years old by the Tragically Hip, right? His entire life he was singing it wrong, so here's, <laughs> here's one of my favorite you're, songs. You're taking it, you're taking live radio here, I broadcast know. <laughs> across Southern Ontario, nationally I, syndicated to rub sand in your friend's face. <laughs> yep. Take that. I'm taking up your time, too. So. <laughs> All right, here's the song. Men broke loose in 73 From Millhaven Maximum Security Drop pictures lined up Across the front page Seems the man has had a summertime Long way But the chief told the people They had nothing to fear so The last thing they want to do Is hang around here most came from town the French name For one another dozen words A hometown shame Same pattern on the table Same clock on the wall Been one seat empty Sitting on the table, heard the telephone ring. Father said he'd tell him if he saw anything. At the top of the window in the middle of the night, held back the curtains for my older brother Mike. See, my sister got raped, so man got killed. Love boy went to prison, man's buried on the hill. Still stare at the shoes in the past I played. 
My mother cried the horror, finally ceased. He whispered, yeah, for the time being at least. All right, and we are back. You're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, 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 on a soul and possible on one of our uh, across the country radio syndicates, possibly on the podcast. Uh, or uh, you could uh, have a glass to the door of the studio. Mm. All of the ways that you could listen to the Green Majority. I'm your host, Darren Kaster, and I'm sitting in studio this week with my co-host, Stefan Hostetter, who's going to lead us in the final segment. And I have been warned. Uh, Stefan has turned his, his rally cap around. <laughs> uh, I, I've heard that uh, something got under your skin this week. So uh, I'm, I'm going to leave the ranting to you this week. Take uh, it away. Thank you. Uh, it was. It's not... It's, I'm not. It's it's more annoyance. It's a simmering <laughs> level of annoyance than it is anything. Simmering that. annoyance. I love it. Um, and it's it's one of those things where I read. Uh, so it's again, it's this New York Times article that's about Obama's plan, um, and it says basically the word that got me uh, is the word legacy. Uh, in that he created this. So basically, it's it's that Obama unleashes climate plan with legacy in mind or something like that. And and it was the word legacy that got me because. It seems that no matter what happens in the last year or two, if if they're basically it's it's, it's it seems that in the media's understanding, at least especially in, provinci- uh, in presidential terms, because you always know it's going to end after a year, so you have this uh, you have this thought that whatever a president does in the last year or two that is in any way might be popular uh, is constantly for her to do as a legacy issue or a legacy thing, um, and I feel like that's that's a that's that, that i think that's that's negative that's negatively impacts the policy itself mm. uh and b is a cynical way of understanding the world uh and as much as i can appreciate cynicism for for <laughs> uh for uh, often i was about to say glass houses there Steve. yes exactly that is fair um i can be very cynical <laughs> from time to time uh but the idea that uh like here's the thing about it, like especially on a climate change plan from obama he campaigned on two things healthcare and climate change uh and the fact that it took him seven years to get a climate change thing, pa- a climate change uh, agenda passed uh, and and actionable, um, you could argue is should be some example of a how difficult it would, would be, um, but also and, and maybe perhaps that it took that you know that it wasn't as big of an issue as he claimed it would be or, or whatever, um, but he campaigned on this and so him pulling through on it cannot be. Boiled down to a legacy issue. This is not him trying to buff up. Sort of, he gets to walk away and be like, "Look, I did something on climate change. Look how great I am." This is not a personal thing. And to call it a legacy issue, my biggest issue with calling it a legacy calling it a legacy issue is that it sort of takes away. Why don't you call it good and necessary policy? Like, why? Why is I don't know listening to every scientist who in in the world who's or who's basically have been screaming their and screaming and pulling their hair out for the last fifteen years, or maybe or to, to flash back to the island, the people who voted they had to move twenty five, twenty three years ago. Um, why does listening to them suddenly now boil down to a well? He wanted to look good when he left. That's let's how nice for Obama. That's yeah. why. It's it's funny <clears throat> that word does get used in in a couple of different contexts, and it sort of depends who's saying it by what they mean of it. But yeah, the 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 right the right wing in the U.S. the the right wing uh, politics and Fox News love to call it a, a legacy project because there is they are trying to imply there that this is sort of something this is like a personal mission for him, and this is all about Obama rather than being about a need that's being addressed. Well, exactly, right? it's like healthcare was his legacy. Well, okay, but the the and what I was saying was the 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 other way that people can say it with a different meaning was what they mean 
was that this is going to be a tough fight and he's spending a lot of political capital that he might have spent elsewhere. And it's a fight that he could have not not taken and he's chose to sort of risk his political capital on. But that that you're saying that if you're saying that as not as a slight, you're saying it within the bubble that is politics and not within the bubble of the world that is the real world. It's it's a house of cards type <laughs> <laughs> legacy thing as opposed to just yeah, it's just well why should why should we uh, you know, why should we be especially applauding of somebody actually doing something that's very necessary? <laughs> well, and I feel like it ends up being this thing that, that I mean, we we should in reality, but it, uh, I just I just wanted to clarify what I right. there. In reality, yes, we should be applauding it because he could not have done it, but it right. shouldn't be that way, right? It, well, and I and I don't think you know if uh, if 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 George if you know if if George Bush or if Obama had decided to invade a country uh, now, no one would say Obama invades Iraq again as legacy issue. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not. It's 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 this. I think it it, it tends this idea that uh, what's interesting about it, at least. What we, from a climate side of it is I think it, the, it gets tacked on to things that people think will be generally popular mm. or at least generally popular with a good percentage of Americans mm. um, and, and will have a lasting impact to some extent, uh, which is, I guess, good news for us in that climate policy is considered something that can be a legacy issue because it's not seen as something disastrous or something that's going to tear, tear everything apart. Um, but no one said that, you know, that Bush starting the work to undo the, the, the financial uh, collapse that was occurring in 2008 uh, was a legacy issue. It's doing your job as government. Like your job as government is to make good policy. Mm-hmm. Just because you took seven years to make good policy on climate change or any policy on climate change doesn't mean it's a quote unquote legacy issue. Yeah. Um, and so that's 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 what has been annoying me today. <laughs> well, no, and, and and one of the things we were uh, we're t- I mean when we're talking about uh, the green energy in uh, in Canada, of course, and one of the things we've we've come back to many times before, but let's let's take another beat at that drum, shall we? Um, was that. Uh, you know, there, there's a massive amount of influence, whether we like it or not, from the U.S. And there's two things that are just becoming more and more clear uh, as we uh, as we move towards our uh, 42nd election here in Canada, is uh, that the entire idea, the years, the years and years uh, of which. I'd love to help you, but what do you want me to do here? I've got my one arm tied behind my back. We can't take action that the U.S. isn't taking and the other major countries aren't taking is now it, it is now a transparent piece of glass. Like, that, it doesn't exist. Uh, Obama's doing it. China's doing it. All, all the major countries are doing it, uh, uh, making these policies to varying degrees. And the biggest countries, all of the ones that which we can use as an excuse, are now moving faster and, and are, are ahead of us and moving uh, ahead of us at an increasingly – at an increasing pace. Uh, and so that entire thing is gone. Uh, and and we take a lot of our you know cues as we said whether we like it or not no matter who's prime minister in this country mm-hmm. uh, we're going to be having to take whether we like it or not through a combination of uh, international politics pray, uh, trade pressure all sorts of other deals uh, to to get on board here and the more that we try and dig our heels in uh, the worse it's going to be for our economy and nothing can be nothing can exemplify the impotence of trying to fight uh, the changing of winds, uh, especially in the U.S. Here for Canada, is Harper's catastrophic failure on the Keystone XL, uh, which is which. I mean, they were sending lobbyists down. It was a new age of of trying to bully the U.S. And you know what? Harper lost. Mm-hmm. He lost embarrassingly and very publicly. And to continue to try and s- spit in the eye of the winds of change, especially the Americans, but the Americans backed up by the rest of the world. Is, fo- is folly. It's, it's insanely foolish. And I would be saying the same thing 
if uh, if we had the opposite situation, if uh, if we had uh, Jeb Bush say right now, or, or one of the other candidates, and we had somebody progressive in Canada who was trying to fight renewable energy on their own versus the tide of of the American influence, I would be happy that they were trying. But I would also tell them, hey, until we can get the U.S. on board with us, I would be making the same argument. We're we're not going to do much here. We don't have any authority. Uh, and it, but the, it, the fact is, it isn't that way. It's the other way around. And we have an opportunity here to not only do what's right, but make the smart choice, which is to not dig our heels in when the rest of the world is increasingly speeding away from us, as if we have any ability or any influence to fight it, aside from all of the climate change information. It's so stupid. What happened to you, Canada? Used to be cool. <laughs> More Simpsons. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, it's it, it just at every level. It's, uh, I'll, I'll, use my, I'll use my favorite term of the week here, uh, or favorite term of the month here. It's it's practically it's fractally wrong, which is to say that it's wrong at every scale. It's wrong for our economy. It's wrong for long-term climate change. It's wrong for local economies. It's wrong for resiliency. It's it's wrong for every possible reason. There is no longer any good argument, including an economic argument, uh, an economic argument for investing in fossil fuels, investing in new fossil fuels. There could be economic but not moral arguments for burning what we've are, what we have now. Uh, as far as like what's already part of production, there are zero arguments for expanding production. There really aren't any. Yeah, and uh, you know to to double down on the on the on the, on the climate change po- or any policy within the United States, uh, there's been a, a lot of studies, and some of my, some of the most interesting courses I, I took in, at University of Toronto were about just sort of how poor Canada has been at moving without the United States, and how and how much in lockstep we basically must act because of how controlled we are. Um, but let's so using that uh, sort of using that little bit of folly into the last five minutes of the show here, I want to jump to the last one we wanted to cover, which is a Globe Mail article uh, saying, do you know what the future of oil is? Just look at coal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the article basically is arguing that, you know, when you're looking at sort of coal has been on the wane for quite some time um, to the extent that there was actually a time very interestingly before um, if you ever want to see an organization on that's, that, you, that knows it's on the wane, uh, wait until they start asking the government to regulate it. <laughs> uh, and and in Ontario, before coal got entirely phased out, c- coal companies are actually coming to the Ontario government to be like, okay, l- give us the regulations we will have to be under, so that we can survive. Uh, so yes, exactly. So <laughs> so we and so we have some you know we have surety that of right before it, um, and and eventually the Ontario government was like, here are the regulations you can survive under. You 